With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at AvalonWaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. I am back from my trip to the United States, to the in New York. I, I was making sure that New York New was York. ready. The, the, New, the, New, York, the New, York. New York. Listen, I, I just got off my flight like an hour and a half ago, so I'm still a little rattled. It's been a long travel day, but I had to make sure New York was ready for RJ Barrett. Uh, with me today is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. How's it going, Carter? It's going good. Um, I'm a little hurt that you didn't, uh, that you didn't, you know, come to Ohio. You went to New York and visited <laughs> the Jersey Shore House, like the douchebag we all knew you to be. <laughs> uh, what can I say? I, I got to stay on brand. I, I, I think I might... Uh, I think I might be coming for an Ohio trip, maybe for the season opener, but that is not what we're here to talk about today. With us today is our very special guest, Matt Moore from the Action Network. Matt, how's it going, buddy? Going well. I'm glad that you're back from the New York. I'm <laughs> glad to be joining you on the internets from here in the Colorado. Talk it, about the the Cavs. Oh, a- absolutely. But before before we jump into the Cavs, you obviously are a little more connected to what's going on around the league, beat writers, you're, you're there at games. And I want you to give us some insight on how Woj has managed to go on this long without really knowing anything, just being fake news and being a puppet for uh, various owners. I hate that you, you did this to me. Okay, so <laughs> I, I did aggregation for for 10 years, yeah. essentially. I did aggregation for 10 years and there's a good way to do aggregation and a bad way to do aggregation. And pretty much everything now is mostly bad. There's a few shops to do it well, but like what it used to be was it's basically blogging. You take like a paragraph and then you quote tweet it and you do like a whole bunch of things. When you do aggregation, you start to learn patterns of reporters and you'll notice like, huh, like he had like two more scoops from the same team, like two hmm. weeks ago. Huh. Yeah. That's weird. Like he he has all of these updates from the same agent. Like <laughs> all these players have the same agent and he gets all of them first. And so you pick right. up on these patterns. But what was preposterous to me because Woj is as essentially ascended. Um, there's right. a handful of reporters that basically as- ascended to like a different plane. Um, Shams is on there because he's a maniac. Um, and uh, Chris Haynes has honestly ascended there because Chris yeah. Haynes, starting with Gordon Hayward report, which was really the first one where he was like, I got it. And everybody's like, do you? And he's like, yeah. 
Yeah, I just, do. just wait. I, I trust yeah. me. I got this one. Yeah, and he dunked on everyone, and and so like Chris is up there, and you know, left and went to Yahoo, and so you have these big players, and so the idea that like Woj is not somehow connected is preposterous because there's always someone that's going to talk. That's what you actually don't learn about this league is like if I if I talk to like a normal fan, and I'm like, who do you think he's connected to? You're like, oh, he's probably talking to the GM. And I was like, well, he's probably texting with the GM. He's probably sent a text to the assistant general manager. He's probably sent a text to the the vice president of business operations. He's probably sent a message to somebody that's close to the ownership. There's probably a minority owner that he's probably in contact with. Like these people have like 18 different sources that they can go to and confirm information with. And while they can be wrong sometimes because you're not going to be able to draw out the same information across the board because not everybody is loose-lipped, it is preposterous to suggest that the concept of Adrian Wojnarowski is somehow working against some sort of war. <laughs> Especially, by the way, by the way, if he was going to be working against one, it's not going to be the Los Angeles Lakers. His, <laughs> he had an entire thing with LeBron when he was in Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, because Miami at that because LeBron at that time was repped by CAA and Adrian Wojnarowski is actually repped by CAA, and right. so like there was like this whole like complicated dynamic that was kind of going on there. But like then, yeah, like he was going after LeBron about every two weeks in his columns. Like you could count on a barn burner, and we actually had like being we had a drinking game um, at CBS about the Adrian Wojnarowski LeBron columns mm-hmm. um, about it would be um, unleash. No, uh, all hell broke loose. That was the one that you had to take like three shots on because he used that column, <laughs> okay. column every time. But I love that. Uh, to sum up here, the point is that while Adrian definitely did used to have issues with LeBron in his camp, uh, since the transition to Rich Paul, my understanding is that those issues have been largely squashed. And even if not, he's able to work around those in such a way as to avoid any sort of issues. Well, I, what I really up. love about this, sorry, Carter, to cut you off, but what I really love about this was I was just trying to lob up for you to dunk on Lakers fans, but I, I do appreciate you going really sincere with it. And I think there's a lot of good information there because I, I think um, a lot of people don't understand what's happening. And, and my, the other thing I love is when someone reports something, and it doesn't even have to be Wolves, it can be anybody, but when they report one thing, then three weeks later, they're saying something else. And people react saying, oh, look how inconsistent they are. And it's like, no, situations change. These things are fluid. Players change their minds. You, you find out more information. It, it's just ridiculous to me that we've gone to this point with bas- basketball coverage. Well, it kind of makes sense, actually, in a lot of ways. Like, we've, we've managed to ruin every part of basketball with Twitter. <laughs> Why not also ruin uh, it's journalism. True. Journalism, capital J journalism in our time. Um, I think part of it too is, you know, uh, look, LeBron does have certain controls. And so that that is one thing I think is interesting here, okay, is it, I, in my queries around the league, I've asked this question to several people, which is, are the Lakers running the Lakers or is Cl- Clutch running the Lakers? Right. And I've gotten a few no, no, like it's, you know, they're close and they've got definitely got influence. Anytime LeBron's in your ecosystem, he's going to have a huge impact. I've gotten a few, no, no, like there's still, as far as I know, everything is normal. And I've gotten a few, I don't know. So I've gotten a lot of like, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know who's running things. Well, um, it seems like they, they're very opposed to the idea of LeBron running things or at least like letting that narrative take root. I think they were. I think they were, and then I think certain changes happened in the during the month of May. I think the power dynamic shifted, and that mm-hmm. may have changed things. And maybe 
I think LeBron's side may have won out. And in that case, I do think that there's a likelihood that probably what we're hearing from the Lakers side is being passed on through various organizations, like the Rambus side of it, right? Because Kurt Rambus has been in the league a long time, and those dudes are usually the ones that talk more because they're like, I've been around, I'm a survivor, I know everybody, I'm not really worried about this, I'm not worried for my job. Like those are the people that don't talk to you, right? Like nobody in Denver really talks because they're all like, I don't want to get fired. And so that's like a big thing. Um, and with the Lakers, I think there's a lot of people that don't have to worry about that as much. And so <laughs> I think it changes some of the dynamics. Clutch as a whole, though, is very insulated in terms of how – I mean, if Rich Paul is going to do something, he's going to tell you on record. Like, yeah. Gonna be, yeah. Yeah. He, gonna he, he's, not a, he's not someone that kind of hides in the shadows. He likes to get out in not front. Subtle, no. Yeah, he likes to get out in front for his clients. And uh, there definitely feels like there's been a bit of a dynamic shift. And now you're starting to see some moves that reflect that, um, which we, we saw the report today that the Lakers are likely going to sign J.R. Smith if uh, if he ends up getting bought out, which uh, I think Mark Stein had it that uh, the Cavs are still actively exploring trade options there. Um, and likely when he does get traded, if he does get traded, uh, that team would buy him out and then he'd sign with the Lakers, which, um, I, what do you think, buddy? Yeah. I, I mean, God, if he's on a minimum deal, I kind of get it just because they're, they're going to have such a hard time filling out that roster. But I just feel like this is going to be another situation where he's going to be asked to play a bigger role than he should which is probably like he should probably be in like the James Jones role uh, from when the Cavs first got back together with LeBron. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm more interested from y'all in terms of like what, okay. I I can't believe I'm about to ask this question. (laughs) What's JR's legacy with Cleveland? That's, it's funny. I think it, it it's kind of variable depending on who you talk to. Like I know some people are like, oh, like who let the last two years really like put a bad taste in their mouth. Um, and then there's mm-hmm. people who just like just loved the guy for you know the moments that he did provide and the big and obviously the big plays and uh, you know 2016 the entire playoff run. I I don't know. I I think his legacy is good and will be remembered as good, especially as we get more time away. Like I even feel I almost feel like I even see. Um, a subsection of Cavs Twitter warming up to Kyrie again. Um, just, you know, like <laughs> with, you know, with the anniversary of the title that just passed by uh, six days ago, um, you know, seeing all those links posted, you know, it was like just, you know, I think time flattens that stuff out uh, eventually. Well, I mean, part, of it, part, well, part of it's like Vin, Vince Carter is going to get retired in Toronto. Yeah. Exactly. Like, that's really changed. like he gets standing O's mm-hmm. and like Vince, like, completely screwed them. Yes. Like Carmel Anthony is going to get retired in Denver. And that's like an even worse situation in my mind. Like he wasn't even that great in Denver. Right. Uh, and so, but like, this is kind of over time, I think it does heal. Um, so who from the 2016 title team gets their Jersey retired? LeBron, obviously. I think just, <laughs> that would be my just, guess. So, but love Maybe Tristan. Maybe Tristan, if Tristan stays long. Trist, Tristan's the one that I think could potentially get the Verigel. Like I, I forget who had reported, but there, I, I think it might have been Fedor, but it was saying that the Cavs might look for an extension option with Thompson, and um, that would ha- obviously have to be team friendly for them to even consider it. Um, but I, I think, I think this past year actually kind of said a lot about 
uh, Tristan Thompson and, and kind of his role with the team because this was a year after four straight finals trips. Um, he was banged up for a lot of it. It would have been really easy as a hustle guy to kind of check out. And even when he was in a suit, he was still kind of stepping up in a leadership role and being there for the young guys. And I know uh, the, the beat guys that are still left with the team had a lot to say about kind of his role in that capacity. Um, so I, I could see um, him getting some consideration. I, I think the big three are, are going to get retired. Um, that, that would be my guess. Um, I had a depressing thought. Okay, what is that? How insufferable is Kyrie going to be at his, <laughs> his oh my retiring? God. It, it's funny, you, you mentioned that cast Twitter is kind of warming up to Kyrie. It's, I've, I've kind of been worn down by it. Um, like I, I, I'm still not going to go after Kyrie. I'm, I'm. Fine. Was it after? Was it after rooting for Boston? Is that? Oh. Was that what did it? Rooted, Listen, rooted for I, Boston, and that was such a painful experience. I did not watching them out with him at the helm, saying, "I'm not going to go seven to twenty-two again," and then going six to twenty-eight or whatever. Was that what did it? Was that uh, it? Uh, for the record. If the Warriors that were in the finals played against that Bucks team, they would have lost two in like five or six games. So um, I, yeah, it wasn't that. I, I wasn't necessarily rooting for the Celtics. I went into every single game trying to go with the ebbs and flows of, let's see who I end up rooting for by the end of this he game. wasn't necessarily rooting for the Boston <laughs> Celtics. <laughs> I'm just saying I, I, left my, I left my emotions open to it. So uh, that, that didn't necessarily materialize. What is fandom, really? <laughs> I don't know what the hell it is That's anymore. a Kyrie answer. We're all just molecules spinning <sighs> through the Illuminati's eye. What does, what does fandom mean to you? Um, yeah, it, it's been a weird experience. Although, let's, let's be honest. One of the best things that he could do uh, to redeem his legacy with Cavs fans is blow up the Celtics. And, and that was something that I thought there was a good possibility of from day one. I do have just a stockpile of bookmarks from like the last two years of me saying that he'd leave this summer. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, he's, he's just a, he's more different than I realized. I think once he went to Boston, you just saw more and more of kind of what the Cavs actually did a decent job of keeping kind of subdued. Yeah. Griffin, the goat. Oh like, man! For a team that had so much media coverage and stuff, so, and even the, like part of it's like usually in these situations, fans will jump to like, "What were the beat writers doing? Why didn't we know about this?" Like, right. well, they all knew. Yeah, they but like, there's knew. no story. There's no story to write where you're just like, "What? Like, what's 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 your lead?" Kyrie Irving's really weird. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. not, that's not like, a story. Yeah, this Ky- Kyrie made me way, question my existence. <laughs> yeah, this, this will always rub me the wrong way. By the way, because I don't like it when we give people who aren't nice like an out by being like they're so abstract yeah they're just different no he's, he's a, a different dick. dude <laughs> i said well here's okay so part of it was um i started i i just started i don't have any i don't have any Celtics contacts i got none okay um, i have one person i know at the organization and i don't go to him um because it it would put him in a uh bad position um but i checked in with the beat writers and was just like halfway i was like how's this going and there was like, you could tell the the way that they talked that they were just like, he's a lot to deal with every day. <laughs> I remember when and Bill like, Simmons compared him to KG. There's just like a lot going on. And so you started to get kind of the sense of like year one was like, yeah, no, he's weird, but he's a great quote. And like, it's, you know, everything's mm-hmm. good this year was like, he's worn on everybody. He's like halfway checked out and then rampaging back in. 
he's wearing on absolutely like he wore uh, everybody because he's the other thing was like he would have those crazy mood swings and then he would blame the media for it and so like right. if you're one thing i've noticed is, like if you're a beat writer you you get tired of it because you know that the team is complaining about him but you can't write that and then he's complaining about you and you're like i'm not even saying the stuff that your teammates are telling me so, yeah could one argue that this was david blatt's greatest lesson for Kyrie Irving. <laughs> oh man Oh man, oh man. I I do want to get your thoughts though on Boston because I I do find that situation fascinating, and I I think Kyrie um, definitely deserves his share of the blame. But it's it's just such a fascinating kind of meltdown where you got a, a respected veteran like Al Horford being like, "No, I'm just signing elsewhere. Like I'm I don't care if Kyrie's back. I don't care if he's gone. I'm gone." Uh, and obviously, money is a part of that, but it, it looks like he's kind of just soured on this experience and. Um, it, it's just been such a, a weird dynamic and it's been fascinating to watch because I, I, uh, I think Jackie McMullen had mentioned that, uh, early in the season force feeding Gordon Hayward was a bit of an issue. Um, this was really Brad Stevens first test in trying to manage star personalities. And I, I don't, even though it's fun to make jokes about Brad Stevens, it's also on the organization to get like either an assistant in place that can kind of cover that blind spot or a vocal leader in the locker room itself on the team. And it, it just seemed that like it, it was a failure on so many different levels. I mean, I, I don't, this seems really reductive, but like Kendrick Perkins would have helped a lot yeah. because Kendrick Perkins would have just been like, no, shut up, sit down. No, like, <laughs> no, like you will get paid, do your job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that them having that, not having a guy like that to kind of like set the tone probably was an issue. Uh, right. I also just think that like, you know, we set too high expectations on Stevens. And by we, I mean like the collective basketball universe, yeah. like the, the okay. online basketball universe. Uh, I, I, was pretty, I was pretty sure you weren't saying that. I, I've been too right. high on Stevens. Right, not not particularly you, um, <laughs> the the royal we. Right. Uh, so like, but we we I started doing this a, a while back because people were already talk, calling him a top five coach when they were get when they were first round out to the Hawks, and I was like, can we just wait and see? And I thought he did a really marvelous job last year. I thought his 2017 or 18 run was great, and then 2019 was the last thing of you know, can you do it when you have to manage those egos when you have right. like a star studded locker room with tension and he didn't do it well and like i give him a lot of credit for owning up to it he's been pretty honest about like i suck this year i, I try and remember that with coaches that coaches have good and bad seasons yeah they're very like, yeah. some some get better some get worse like i i thought doc rivers had done a great job then he wasn't so good and he's been great the last few years for example yeah he's been really good so like uh, i've covered michael malone every year in denver and uh he's had he's gotten a little bit better every year but I would say that this year was obviously his best season. And I would say last year wasn't as good as the year before right. in terms of the stuff that he had it's done because he made a lot of, he made a lot of crucial errors. So it's like these things go up and down and the roster changes. And, and that's a, a bunch of it. Like one of the reasons I'm very high on the Celtics over there at 47 and a half for their win total early. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not getting in on it now, but one of the reasons I'm probably going to be writing a lot about why the over is going to be valuable is they're going to be back to, scrappy underdog bunch of pieces going together where they're not a serious threat but those really cute adorable tryhard teams are where brad (laughs) stevens gets them like five to seven games 
above where they should be. Yeah, that's his comfort zone for sure. Like that's, uh, it, it's something that we know he can do. I, I do have some questions, especially with Al Horford not being there. Cause I do think that he was kind of a crucial cog of getting guys that aren't as talented, good looks. Um, but it, they're still, they're still going to have cap space. They're still going to have options. And if they sign someone like Kemba Walker, I think that could really help them get back to a similar win total where it'll probably be, be a bit more of a feel-good season for them. I wonder, I want to, before we project too far forward with the Celtics, I do kind of want to go back to like dissecting the failure. And you kind of mentioned that they didn't have someone like a Kendrick Perkins, which is like, you know, is obviously kind of like a joke. Those guys, like they always get, when those signings happen, everyone gets laughed at. I do think there's a lot of value in having a vet on your roster that doesn't play. Like, I think yep. the not playing part really matters. Because I think there, I even saw some some people being like, well, why didn't Al Horford, like, lay down the law? Like, he's supposed to be a vet. And it's like, well, like, he's got to go out there and play with him. Right. Like, yeah. I do think there's a lot of value in that. I, I, How much blame do you think, do you, like, if you were to apportion blame uh, on uh, the Celtics organization, so, like, their whole structure, um, like, what percent of the blame for this kind of, all falling apart do you put on them uh like where they maybe they should have done some more due diligence on the kind of personalities they need to do or was this just like oh well like they how should they have known that Kyrie was gonna platoon you know ruin the whole season I, I'm still <laughs> trying to figure it out um I I don't blame them a lot and the reason I don't is um they passed on Paul George and they passed on Kawhi Leonard and then they passed on um, all of the Jimmy Butler. They passed yeah. on all these opportunities they could have had to cash in. Um, and they decided that Kyrie was the guy. Now you can debate whether or not Kyrie's the guy, but those are debatable points. Right. Like, would you rather have Kyrie or like Kawhi Leonard is, is currently at a place above because he just won his second title and second finals MVP. But like, then you would have probably been like, okay, like how do we kind of rank these? And even if you would put Kawhi at the top, you know, there are injury concerns there and everything else. All of these guys were in the mix for it. And so like Ainge identified Kyrie Irving as the guy, like right. I'm going to go in on this guy, this guy I believe in, I believe in that in him as a singular talent. And I also think that just like, I, I, I say this, I think Kyrie's gotten weirder. Like yeah, I think I, Kyrie I think was, yeah, like Kyrie was moody and difficult in Cleveland. And then he went into like, okay, he's like researching some stuff and like branching out on his own. Mm -hmm. And then like someone showed him like, hey, look at this video about like the earth. And then like he clearly, and I'm not even just like focusing on the flat earth thing. He has referenced this. He's clearly a guy that watches like a lot of online content. He, like, he's he on YouTube a lot. Research, bro. Right. Like he does that a lot. And he's at a point in his life where he's discovering new things and he's making a lot of money and he's no longer just like in the lifestyle. So he's exploring different things and he's changing guys change a, just a, I stress this so much after the rookie extension, the first like three years of the rookie extension, that's where things get the, those guys go through a rapid transformation because they're right. hitting the late twenties part of their life where they're establishing who they are and growing out of being just like a youngster and they're starting to make ungodly fu money which fundamentally changes their approach and how they relate with the world like it's it really is different when you're making two million dollars a year versus 25 plus, like you're in a whole different universe yeah, yeah plus he won a title very young and like he wouldn't be i don't think that had anything all, to do with it i, I think I there is something to be said about there are a lot of successful people 
in basketball and outside of basketball who take the wrong lessons away from their success. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's a big part of it is he, he came in to Boston with this kind of like not unearned because he did earn some of it, but like with the wrong lessons about what it took to win. Right. Well, it was part of it is like he, I think he really did think like, oh, LeBron and I won a title, and the rest of us outside of Justin are like, <laughs> are like, no, like LeBron won a title, and you were super helpful. Like that shot, <laughs> definitely like great, but like LeBron won the title, and you did your part, which they needed you to do. Hey, great hey, shot, hey, by the Tristan way. Thompson. Tristan Thompson was right there, Matt. Come on. Um, but like LeBron won the title. And so like, that's, that's, I, I think that may have been part of it too. But the other thing I think also is I, I just look the young guys on that roster, Terry Rozier was incredible when Kyrie Irving was not on the floor last season, when they were at home, yeah. when they were at home, his splits were nuts without Kyrie, just amazing. And then Kyrie would come back and Rozier would play like garbage. Jalen, I think, adjusted it as the year went on because Jalen kind of got over it. And because Jalen is a cerebral, like a genuinely cerebral enough person to be like, I am going to blow this if I don't get myself back in line and just like my career is long. I've got two more years until my extension's up. I just need to go out and play. And so he did that. But then there's tension with the Gordon Hayward. So it's like this perfect storm kind of happened on them, which is why I don't blame the Celtics. Like they put together a roster that most of us thought was the number one team in the Eastern Conference. They built themselves around Kyrie Irving, who said he wanted to build it, like win a championship. Irving had said all of the right things really up until like all-star break. He had said the right things and they thought that they were on track. Um, He had – there was always a sense from the people that were like around him that mm-hmm. mm, maybe we'll see. But like Kyrie, I think had done so much in their conversations personally that they couldn't have seen this coming. And then like, finally, I think at the other end of it is just um, like did it blow up. Yeah. Did Stevens not handle it? Yeah. But you had to play the percentages and the percentage chances were that this was going to be a really great team and that Irving, Hayward, and Horford were going to be your core for the foreseeable future. And it's honestly just amazeballs that a year after it was like, God, they made the Eastern Conference Finals without Hayward and Irving. What's going to happen when they've got them? Oh, my <laughs> God, this is, this is going to be a dynasty to where now I'm like, boy, they, they might really get Vucevic. That, that, that might be their That summer. might be it. Oh, yeah, boy. it's their – and as much as I hate that the I'm almost hoping that the Cavs are in the same spot where it's a bunch of cute tryhards and, and we have fun with our, our crappy young guys. They're they're kind of like in the same spot. They're obviously they're they're in a different market and they have a few more. They, their cupboards a little more full. They have more assets, but it, they're in rebuilding to to some extent. And that's just wild that that we're already here when it, it really did look like it, it was going to be something that was sustainable. I will also say that I will also say this uh, back to 2000 and when was it all-star of 17? Yeah. All-star okay. of 17. Uh, that was the Isaiah Thomas year. So like the year that Isaiah was in the MVP conversation. Right. Right. I ran into somebody at the airport that knows uh, a lot of their guys really well. He's an NBA veteran that's out of the league right now. Um, and he was telling me, he was like, uh, Ainge has told the entire roster, including 
Isaiah, including everybody at the top, he'll like, he's open to trading everybody. If it makes the Celtics better. Right. We talk a lot about Maury in that conversation of he treats him just like assets. Wow, I love this. Um, yeah. Ainge's, but Ainge has been upfront about it. And so is more. Like, that's, that's why I actually don't have that much sympathy for the players. And is that like, if you don't do that, then what you wind up doing is the opposite where you box yourself into a corner where you're like, I can't trade this guy because I made this big emotional pitch to him. Yeah. And then you look like a jackass on the other end. Cause you're like, you brought all this stuff out for Blake Griffin and made like raised his thing in the rafters and told him he was Clipper family. And then you trade him six months later. What the hell is that? It's a no win proposition to me. Yeah. I think it's better to take the Morian Ainge approach of just like, look, man, like we're in a super competitive sport. I, I get paid a lot of money to try and win a title. I have to pursue every angle. If I get a trade that makes us better and it involves dealing you, I will do that until you hit a player where you're just like, no, I will not. Like, and I'm sure Ainge did. Ironically, Ainge would have done that with Irving. Ainge would have yeah. been like, no, we're not trading you under any circumstances. You're our guy. We're building around you. And Irving was the one that was like, eh. Yeah. And what you kind of touched on there is something that I've been on as well, which is I, I think I can really sympathize with Tatum and Jalen Brown because at the deadline this year, you had Ainge saying, hey, we're going to make an offer for Anthony Davis. We're going to make it worth your while if you wait. Yep. And it was such a weird spot to be in because you're getting, you're asking two very talented young players to sacrifice to play alongside and fall behind Kyrie Irving, who is weird enough as it is. But then at the same time, you're also thinking that if Kyrie stays, I'm not going to be playing with Kyrie. I'm going to be traded for Anthony Davis. And if Anthony Davis uh, or if Kyrie does leave, then I'm I'm probably we're not trading for Anthony Davis and I'm going to be on my own. So no matter what, I'm not going to be playing with Kyrie. So why am I sacrificing for him? Why am I falling behind this guy, especially when he isn't a strong leader? There's a handful of teams that manage their trade negotiations in silence. There's just, I mean, I can, I can name them on one hand, but those teams, they have a standing, they have like a standing rule with, with trade partners. If this gets out, the, the deal is dead. Right. Like unless it's an exceptional, like once in a lifetime superstar move where they just can't afford to walk away from the table. Right. If it's like, even like I've, I've heard things after the fact of like significant major role players, like dudes making 12 to $15 million a year, major players that teams have been like, nope, they got out and you leaked it. We're done here. Mm -hmm. We just will not negotiate. And the problem was Boston leaks everything. Yeah. Clutch, Clutch was very targeted in their approach to, to poison the well. Mm -hmm. Like Clutch's management, I, I have so many issues with what Clutch did, but the fact that the same day that the, the Anthony Davis trade report came out, the same, like, a re reports from people that clearly have Clutch connections were saying, Anthony Davis is not interested in going to the Celtics because Kyrie Irving may lead. Like he just he poured arsenic down the well. Yeah, immediately. Two birds with one stone. Like it was great for Lakers fans because it killed two birds with one stone, and they were never really the same after that. Like the Lakers fell apart when all the trade report stuff came out, but the Celtics had a real. The Celtics lost to the Lakers and the Clippers in that same stretch too, because mm. it's really difficult when you're just like. Why am I buying in for a team that is openly saying I am dispensable and going to send me to this place I don't want to play in? Which, by the way, is really stupid because New Orleans rules. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And that's, that's a big part of why I have trouble putting too much blame on any one person. Like, I, I just think there's so many factors that went into this situation. And 
blowing up. Um, it was such a good spot they were in, and it took a lot to bring them down. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of turn things around and, and get things looking a little bit better. Um, but Carter, I got to ask you a question. Do we have any sponsors that can help our listeners look a little bit better in the future? Boy, do we, Justin. Uh, well, this uh, this particular podcast is looking pretty beardy, and I wanted to say, Matt, the beard looks very nice. I'm, I'm, I'm supportive. <laughs> it's a nice line. Um, I think... I, I would it's argue. the best beard out of the three. It's the best beard out of the three. three by well, well, I know who's in last. Um, but if you are uh, trying to clean up your beard, have as nice of a line as Matt or I or, you know, God forbid, Justin, uh, he- Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash blue wire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade. Can't imagine there'd be a razor without a lubricating strip at this point. Rich lathering shave gel travel blade cover, which as I've said a billion times, I just love so nice. Keeps your uh, razor from sitting uh, amongst your things when you're on the road, which I often am for work. Uh, you get all that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. They fix shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned, so they bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. So just under a century, Justin. Join the 10 million people who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of them come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know. They'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3, Justin. And when you're looking better and you're feeling good about yourself, it's also a great time to take care of your own health. Guys are terrible at taking care of their own health, whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse. Guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show that 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you can get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that a treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medication that can be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with two free two-day shipping. Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get checked out. With Roman, it's easy to connect with a doctor. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for your, your free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. I have a question, Justin, a very yes. important question, uh, yes. and one for you as well, Matt, because uh, I got to thinking about this while I was doing the Blue Wire read about how you can get your money back if you didn't enjoy your shave with Harry's, which... Mm-hmm. Of course you wouldn't do that because it's a great, great, great product. What's this? What's the least amount of money uh, on a product that you bought online that you will pursue a refund for? <laughs> Matt, you go first. Um, I would probably pursue it for 
if I pay, well, see, I think it's more about the product. Like if I'm, if it's something that I really need, then mm-hmm. I will be pretty, like if I buy a, if I buy a USB, like a, a, a phone charger, yeah. cause I have to buy, I keep going through them just crazy fast yeah. and they keep burning out and it's pissing me off to be perfectly honest. <laughs> so like if I get one and it's immediately broken for like $10, I'm going back again to be like, it's the principle of the thing. Like this is, this is, this is much, much bigger deal. So to me, it's more about how much I'm invested in the product. Yeah. I'm so terrible for this. I I'm just the, the polite Canadian here. This is one of the few times where I actually really live up to stereotype and I'm just, I'm not going to ask for a free refund. What's the most money, Justin, you've thrown away on a product you didn't use that was either uh, not functional or not worthwhile. Like 120 maybe. (laughs) Listen, That's so I ended stupid. up years years later. I ended up pawning it off uh, on a friend, but yeah, it just uh, what it was, was the product? Now I have to know. Uh, <laughs> it might have been a dry herb vaporizer. Oh, uh, just, it was inconvenient. On a podcast, Justin, just after the ad read. <laughs> Listen, it's legal here, so that's okay. My my, um, <laughs> my, my barometer is a cool thirty bucks. If it's more than thirty, I I gotta get my money back. Oh man, well. <sighs> At least we got good products. We we don't we don't uh, we don't hawk anything that's uh, terrible. But um, speaking of if you're like me, if you're like me, you don't need any ED medication because the Cavs draft got me rock hard. Um, Matt, I want your thoughts <laughs> as you <laughs> cover your face. Did, what was kind of your general feel for it? Because we we did a live podcast and it was funny. We signed off after the Shams tweet for the 26th pick. And then after we signed off, everything changed. We got Windler instead. Uh, then we traded for Kevin Porter Jr. Um, and my vibe changed immediately. But I just kind of want your thoughts on, on the night overall for the Cavs. Uh, I mean, I think it was good. Like, we'll see. Like, a lot of it is... I'm I want to be really patient with this draft class because it's been so panned by everybody. Yeah. Not the Cavs, but just this draft class has been known to suck. I find that oftentimes there are diamonds in the rough that we don't see coming. And then later we're like, God, they got a really good player. So like, I want to see if Garland's going to be that kind of guy. Like if he really is the discount CJ McCollum or as good as CJ McCollum, like that's mm-hmm. been the comp that's been, been said so much. Um, a lot of it's kind of dependent on Sexton, right? Like if Sexton, is what he was last year and he actually is that guy and he gets better Then this looks a lot better because you just built this backcourt that you can really win with. Um, I didn't mind the Kevin Porter Jr. take. I just didn't, I didn't like have any sort of issues with that. That was worth the gamble on what he can bring to the table. Right. Um, I thought it was a good draft for where they were after obviously a a bad lotto. They're set to have a chance at another really good pick next year. They're going to be young. They're going to be probably bad. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm very excited given their direction to argue once again, why they need to trade Kevin love during training camp. I'm <laughs> super excited about that possibility. Cause that's where I'm going to be at once again. Okay. Um, I don't, the cap sheet doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but they've got some maneuverability and they're going to be able to, they're going to be able to facilitate a lot of stuff, which I think is good. They're going to have options, which I think is good. Um, but yeah, I, I, overall, I mean, I, I really liked it. I think that I, I like guys out of Vanderbilt. I just think that they're in general, I think that there's a lot of, of talent there for them. So yeah. um, I think that overall, I, I didn't walk away being like, man, the Cavs really bone this. I didn't walk away being like the Cavs are set. They're stacked. I was just like, yeah, pretty good for a team that's rebuilding. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. I, I still think that they're, I, the situation that they're going to need to land on is – Sexton off the bench and that feels like the most reasonable outcome for what Sexton's going to be just like being a very uh, an efficient uh six-man scorer um with maybe a bigger 
uh, wing at the shooting guard. I don't know, man. Him, him being like a him being works. a great six, him being a good six man, um, and, and someone you want coming off the bench is an above average outcome, both for who he currently is as a player, and for that draft slot in general. I, I mean, it, that's it's not a sure thing when you're picking eighth. And if you look at the last fifteen years, I, I would say that's above average outcome. And I, I think a lot. Uh, he may become more. He has a great work ethic, and he's ahead of where I expected him to be. Um, his dedication to changing his shot was really impressive, but he's got a lot of work ahead of him. Um, so I'm, I'm not ruling anything out, but I, I don't think that there's necessarily any harm in, in trying to to develop both point guards at the same time and, and see where they land. And I, I think people's how they feel about this Cavs draft is really kind of dictated by how invested they already were in Sexton. Yep. And that's why national guys like it more than Cavs fans did the night off. Like that's the, that's the number one way to know is like, you know, sometimes like I always am here to kind of play up the, the value of the local viewer, which is like, Hey, like we do know stuff that, you know, maybe your national guy might not know just because how could they watch all 30 games with the amount, with the, with the depth that we're going to watch them. But Sometimes we're too close. Yeah, this is where the national guys actually, I think, have a big advantage on us is they they didn't spend all season hoping Colin Sexton might be a decent player. Right. Um, and and they can just judge him for what he was, which is like, okay, he was really, really bad, and then he got pretty okay. And he like, pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And there's there's promising things there. I think one of the things that was with them their size I think is kind of concerning, but given that they're both six two, I think that yeah. that's like that having watched the Nuggets just struggle mightily with the six two point guard and a six three shooting guard. Mm-hmm. Really, six three? I thought he was like six yeah. five. Uh, no, Harris is six. He's like six. He he's listed at six four, but it's more like six three and a bunch of quarters. Like yeah. it's yeah. not. He's and he, he plays small, so it's like you're just very. It's very evident whenever he's going up against taller shooting guards that he's at a disadvantage, and that's where you'll run into trouble. But that's like down the line, right? Yeah, like that's, can't that, that, yeah that's not right that's now. not a problem for the, like the next five years. I mean, um, like even if the Cavs, even let's say that sets your ceiling at in the absolute best case scenario, like a, a Portland um, or or kind of a, a team in that image, like that's that's something that we could at least get behind. And then you deal with that at that point, maybe you trade one. Um, One thing that is encouraging for me as well is that Sexton kind of had his best stretch of the year playing alongside Brandon Knight and playing alongside another guy that needed the ball. And, and Jim Beeline has had um, success with two kind of ball dominant uh, point guards in the past and and kind of running those type of offenses. So, um, and I do think that there's some potential that they could develop both of these guys at the same time. Yeah, I, my my big gripe here um, is with the idea of if they really are going to commit to this to the extent that they're uh, commit to this backcourt to the extent that they might not like take another guard next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I'm just really worried about the undersized nature. Like you know, like I and I really don't like hearing, well, you know, small ball, so you can do that. And it's like small ball applies. But they're, they're going to, they were going to suck on defense no matter what. And also I have no yeah. idea why I called him Jim Beeline. Uh, this has been a long day. Dude, me. I've been calling him Jim Beeline too. I, I, what, what is the hang up there? We're Where... stupid. That's always the answer. <laughs> um, I do want to move past this, uh, this draft and kind of into free agency because the Cavs kept their powder dry on the JR contract. Um, for now. For now. Um, it doesn't really seem like they're going to dump it at this point uh, unless they get a really, really good deal. 
Matt, what do you think about that? Do you think that's as simple as like, you know, your owner isn't always going to want to spend that much money to take a lot, you know, uh, to throw a dart at a board for a decent first rounder? I mean, I, I don't know that there are any, I don't know that there are any sort of rush, right? Like you're just trying to wait and see if somebody will give you the, the, well, the, the rushes June 30th right. when it's guaranteed. Yeah. I mean, I get, I get that, but I don't know. I, I guess I'm not necessarily worried about that. Cause I feel like the worst, like the, what's the worst case scenario is like, you okay, you waited out, you didn't get what you wanted. Um, and the very last second you can dump it or you just, you know, you pay it out. Yeah. And, and you just get out. the savings for yourself. And um, yeah. I, sorry to cut you off, but uh, I had made this point earlier today where, one of the guys that it was theorized that the Cavs were going to trade up to 13 and swap first round picks and they were going to go after Kevin Porter Jr. And uh, I think when Nazir Little, Kevin Porter Jr. and Bull Bull all slid, it became they had less and less motivation to trade up in the draft because they, they felt comfortable with getting some of those guys. So um, I am OK with um just buying it out and eating it if nothing materializes. Like, I, I think you'd actually have to get something you desire rather than just trading them for the sake of trading them and they're probably just trying to line up like teams are trying to line up what they're going to do and who's interested in them it's like exactly all right, well, you just take if we can get a commitment from this guy but we got to talk to this guy and make he's not gonna give us a commitment until this day like everything's all kind of messed up in part just because like we don't have any sort of moratorium anymore like it used to be like oh, a few things might get done a little bit early and now it's just like nope everybody's just doing everything back room and so like <laughs> no order at all in our universe. And so I think that everybody's got to kind of get everything lined up and then you're going to execute things at the very last moment. Once you have, it's part of it is you don't want to overextend yourself and be like, all right, we'll give you this pick because we want the cap space because we're going to sign this guy. And then that guy backs out on you and you're like, we should have waited and not sent that pick. Yeah. And now we're going to, we have all this cap space and what are we going to do with it? Like all of these things get really complicated. So like, a, there's a, a lot of games of chicken going on because the, the players are like, I will sign with you when I can. And teams are like, so you're signing with us. For now, yeah. when yeah. I can't. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of nice to see that the Kobe Altman is being a little patient with this, and they they didn't That's make us they didn't make a move for the sake of making a move, which is very uncavs, which is, is nice to see. Um, and I, I think that um, that's kind of some of the disconnect that Cavs fans have is because we always expect whether or not it's a good move. We don't know, but there's always something that happens with this team, and that's kind of been the Dan Gilbert way. Um, I I do think you're right, though, that it's a lot of this is going to depend on how kind of pre-agency is going and that build up to July 1st. And while the Cavs aren't going to be a free agent team, they're kind of that, that third party where they have this unguaranteed contract for now. They, they have expiring deals to help teams out and, and they're going to try to get in on some of this. What, what kind of has you excited for free agency? Uh, some team's going to do something stupid. Just <laughs> some team's going to do something really dumb. So whoever maxes D'Lo, is that what this is? I don't, th- I like D'Lo. Okay. Uh, I think like, I really like, I really like Vucevic, but he's probably going to get overpaid. Um, mm-hmm. Like Bobby Portis, the number that Tony Jones reported tonight, 16 mil. And like, I asked in all seriousness, like, is that total or per year? And like, everybody's like laughing, like, ah, ha, ha. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm serious. Is that, is, is he seriously asking for 16 million per the year? 21st and, overall pick who wasn't good in, at any point in his career so far. For really bad teams. Yeah. Like, I mean, and like, I like Bobby Portis and I want him to be good. Like, woo pig suey, but no, no, under no, sir. But, 
you have so many damn teams that have cap space and they're going to miss out on their first guy and they're going to miss out on their second guy and they're going to miss out on their third through six targets and they're going to be like, um, if we don't improve the roster, we're going to get fired. Okay, okay, this could work. This could work and they'll talk themselves into some sort of deal and then it's just like a disaster. There's too many teams with too much cap space this summer. There's just too many of them and there's not enough players that are worth it. Like I started doing the free agency rankings and it's just – it, it gets dire in a hurry mm-hmm. on guys that I think are actually going to be worth it. Um, and that gets, I just think that, that, that puts you in a position where if you have caps, like what you want to be is you want to be the team that is like, Oh, I've got enough. Like I'm a, I've got a good team and I've got enough space to be like, yeah, we get, we're going to add one guy for like 8 million. We got like enough in that range. Yeah. Because if you have anything more than that, you're just setting yourself up to be the team that winds up overpaying and being like, Okay, we have four years of this guy at eighteen million. Oh no, what have we like by December your fans are already like, What have we done? Right. And you've limited yourself. Like it's just I don't I'm not one of those guys that thinks cap space is everything. Mm-hmm. Um I actually tend to be like you wanna you want a middle ground range where you have flexibility but enough assets to where you can't make any sort of bad maneuvers. But there's way too many teams that have overlevers themselves this summer to where they're going to have to do something and all these free agents are going to get paid and it's, it's going to be a mess. Do you think we're in line for another summer of 2016? No, it won't be that bad. Um, I don't know that we'll have like Evan Turner money. I don't know that we'll have like Bismack Biombo continues to be the one. Cause like Evan Turner, people are still like, yeah, we want him around. Like he's a good player. Right. He's or, a fairly good teammate too. He's a, he's a really good teammate. Like he's great in the locker room. He's good with the media. Um, he's got a good presence. He's versatile. If you get in, if you get an injury, he can fill in in a bunch of different spots. But like Bismack Biombo was like literally like, oh, centers are going extinct. Here's like a hundred million dollars, and it's yeah. like this is the worst possible outcome. Um, and so I don't think we'll see necessarily any of those type deals. But I do think that we're going to see a lot of them where a team's going to be like, we really have convinced ourselves that this is our missing piece. I think it actually might get a little bit worse because of the Warriors injuries now everybody's like, windows open. Yeah. Do this. Yeah. I, I, I think, man, those injuries really just changed the NBA. Like, I, I, I think the Kevin Durant one in particular, but both him and Clay going down, I, I think it, it reduced the free agent pool. It might have changed what KD's decision is going to be. Um, Poor it, may, it may, yeah, it may have screwed over the Knicks there. Maybe he's f- uh, favoring a team like Brooklyn that can kind of afford to wait with him. Um, so that's, that's going to be fascinating. And, um, I'm kind of interested to see if teams are going to do the right thing where if you are a team like New York and you miss out on guys, you might just be better off kind of punting it, like just Just waiting and saving the cap space. And and that's one of the toughest things to do. And, um, I, I just don't know if they kind of have the stomach for that with how they've made all the moves to clear the space and how they've kind of positioned themselves and had this bravado that this is going to be our summer. There were two teams that did that in 2016 that just like basically were like, no, like we're not just going to spend to spend. And the implication was like, God, these guys are cheap. And the teams were really offended because they were like, look, I, we're not going to lock ourselves up and limit what we can do. We're, we're making more room to pay you guys later. Like we're making more room to pay our players later. Right. And they get them flexibility. And, and both those teams wound up having really good summers subsequently mm-hmm. where they got major guys that helped them. And so I think that that maybe there will be more of a sense. Like everyone's gonna say, 
that's what I think is funny is like everyone's going to say going in, we're not just going to spend to spend, but then right. they're going to talk themselves into like Julius Randall mm-hmm. and he's going to be in competition. And the other thing you see a lot is these small market teams that have all this cap space, you have to pay a premium. You have to basically pay overpay yeah. players to come to your small market because nobody wants to go there. Like it's why the Cavs have to be like, they have to be stellar in the draft. Yeah. They have to be incredible because you can't try and get difference makers to Cleveland because you're going to have to overpay. Yeah. And like, this has been Orlando's torture rack where Orlando has just constantly been like, we want to get to the playoffs. We want to get to the playoffs. So they overpay for medium level guys. And it's like, that's, that's always going to wind up like working against you. Like there's a lot of guys on this list that I'm just like, man, I, I don't know if this is going to like, like Nikola Miritich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a guy that's going to command a lot of money on the market because he's a couldn't he's a play. Four who can shoot and couldn't and, play in the playoffs this year and couldn't play in the playoffs. But the idea of him is really valuable. Yeah, and yeah. Like he's going to wind up making a lot of money on the open market, and like Patrick Beverly is like constantly talked about. Like everybody wants him. Well, guess what? His agent hears that. Yeah, like his agent's aware of that and is going to use it to be able to to manipulate a deal where you're like, okay, I'm paying a lot of money for a guy who's not a first, second, third, or really fourth option offensively. He's just a fill-in, and his defense is manipulable if you put him into an off-ball situation. So, like, there's all these 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 issues with what I'm looking like. Everybody on the, on the list that I look at, even the guys that I'm really high on, I start thinking about their number, and I'm like, this could get bad. Now, maybe we're wrong. Maybe teams really will have a lot more constraint, but that's, I think, is my concern. I have 1% battery left, by the way. Oh, oh okay. we're about to lose well, you. We should wrap then. Yeah, perfect. I, I was going, I was going to get into uh, trading Kevin Love, but we can do that another day. We we Bring like to back. circle, we like to circle back to the the same arguments. So uh, I'm looking forward to that, Matt. So thank you so much for coming on. We really do appreciate it. Uh, thank you to our listeners. Thank you for sitting through our ads for Harry's <laughs> as well as Roman Edie. I'm sure that was very very comfortable for you, Matt. So thank you so much. Thank you to everyone watching live. Thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, the support and feedback we got on our draft episode was just unbelievable. So thank you so damn much. Uh, remember, if you want to support the show on any platform, just leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe to help cook those books. And if you want to be part of our Discord chat, just send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com and we will send you the link. So until next time, go Cats. <laughs>